Luck on Sunday. Brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world. All right, talking points with David Yates and Gavin Sheehan. We will start with the start of Premier Racing. 170 fixtures with a threshold of what's considered to be acceptable prize money. So in many cases, including Plumpton today, that prize money has been boosted by taking it from elsewhere across their racing portfolio. And it has had a, a mixed response in terms of its execution so far, David Yates. Um, have the BHA and the industry chosen the right time to start its Premier Racing initiative? That's arguable. I think it, it goes without saying that the, the, the start isn't the one that they would have wanted, is it? If we wind the clock back to the start of um, British Champions Day, at uh, Kipco British Champions Day at Ascot, that was very lucky for two years to have a poster boy in Frankel. Uh, this initiative hasn't been so lucky thus far. 47 runners. But if you saw anything on the 1st of January, the weather could screw you up. Well, yeah, of course, through in, in midwinter, mid of course. 47 runners at Cheltenham, and then, of course, we lost Sandown yesterday. Um, it's obviously a, a knee-jerk reaction to say that it's doomed after um, a week. It's a two-year trial. We'll have to see. I mean, I, I, my, my worry um, with... Uh, Premier racing, I think the, the figure of 170 race days is too many, but there's a sort of, what worries me is the sort of collective lack of confidence in it as a project from the racing community. I'm going to read a quote to you now, which might be familiar. It's from Julian Richmond Watson, the chair of the Thoroughbred Group, and it says, it's there now, we have got to support it and take it forward. And that reminds me of politicians post-Brexit who think, oh God, they voted to leave. Economically, this is going to be a disaster, but we've got to run with it and put on a brave face. And I don't think collectively there's much confidence in it, and that worries me. And also, is it simply a restructuring to bolster um, racing's finances because it is putting the better racing um, in front of people so that it increases turnover and increases the levy yield? Or is it actually something by which to market the sport more effectively? Well, it's supposed to be both, isn't it, I mm. suppose? But 170 days, Gavin, one, just, just under one every second day. That seems a lot for a Premier race day to me. It's a bit too much. Um, it's too much. And I think the whole thing is that we're trying to get more people into the sport as well as anything. And I think if there's too much of it, then it's just... Well, it's too, it's, too, it's too much as a marketing exercise. You don't make any, any currency but, or, or commodity more precious but, but by creating more of it, do you? No, but if you're guaranteeing 170 days at, a, at what is considered by the industry to be at an acceptable prize money level, then to that end, it will be considered successful. It's then a question of whether it's right to take that money from elsewhere and put it into those fixtures. Yeah, well, that's the other thing, isn't it? Is it that the tiles are being moved around the board rather than the, in the short term at least, the the offerings being increased. Exactly, and it's not just Premier fixtures that are part of this restructure of racing. Today we also begin a trial to race <coughs> on Sunday evenings, and that's taking place at Wolverhampton. What has forced the door open here? Well, the promise of more prize money for middle-grade horses, and they've been extremely well rewarded. It looks a very good betting card at Wolverhampton this evening. So, as other colleagues have pointed out, um, talked to Lydia about this earlier in the week, it's a no-brainer 
that this will be levy positive and it will generate good money for the industry, but at what cost to the workforce, Gavin? How's the feeling out there about uh, racing and working on a, on a Sunday evening? Not great. Um, it's this, this staff as much as anything is, there's, there's obviously a shortage at the moment anyway, and with staff having to go evening racing, then they're only allowed to work so many hours a week so that that might take them off in the morning and different things but it's uh it's one of those for the, the staff have got families and lives too and you know when it, when they're out there at wolverhampton in the evening um they're getting back that late they might not be in work in the morning and mm -hmm. it's it, it's taking up a lot of a lot, lot of time and um it's it's a, i think it's a bit too much for them really i was interested again in your piece in the in the examiner and you were just saying how the driving by far is the worst part of your job. I mean, like by by miles, it's the it's the bit that that does you in. Yeah, it is. Um, you'd love a love a, a helicopter or something like that around the place, because I'm sure we can provide. Yeah, it'd be nice. Um, going up the air tomorrow, I'm going to spend a, about 14 hours inside in the car. Um, you know, it, it takes up a hell of a lot of time, and it's tiring as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about this this Sunday evening racing that's starting today. Is it a given <coughs> that people are going to bet on on racing on Sunday? Right. My anecdotal conversations over decades of punting friends is that I, I can't ever remember one person saying, I wish I could bet on horse racing on a Sunday night. Mm. Um, it's obviously driven by the bookmakers, this this is this is their information, their data, their data, that's yeah, being given to the BHA. Says that this is a golden period for people to bet. They obviously see good football trade. I think they saw very good uh, turnover on the Skybet Sunday series that yeah. was sort of Sunday twilight. True, that was on the box though, wasn't it? Mm. Whereas it was on free-to-air TV. This yeah. won't be. Um, do football punters? I would, I, I would have thought that the, the bookmaker's information is a bit more sophisticated than just saying, hey, there's plenty of lads in the pub betting on the, the, the 4 o'clock or yeah, 4.30 kickoff. It must be. But if, if it is, fine. If it's not, well, generally, uh, people who bet on football and people who bet on horse racing, we all know are not one and the same. Obviously, we, we will, not you going, obviously, but we will bet on different sports yeah. as well as horse racing. But they're, they're, they're two pretty, there is an intersection, but they're two pretty separate camps, I would have said. My feeling is that this will generate money for the sport and therefore it will be considered a successful trial and it will continue in perpetuity. But to what extent do those racecourses want people actually there? So is it a spectator sport? And at what cost to the, to the sports workforce? Um, that will all be out in the wash, I'm sure, in a few months' time. And that leads us somewhat onto Kempton Park, which has received quite a lot of brickbats uh, over the last few weeks for its facilities during the King George meeting, not for the facilities in front of the grandstand where you shone. From a jockey's point of view, let's, let's talk about Kempton as a track, first of all, your facilities, you riding around there, and what you think of it in that respect. I love it, to be honest. Um... We've got good Love facilities there. Yeah, um, we've we've always had good facilities there. We got um, good food inside there. Kind of get well, we we get well looked after. And as a track to ride around, it's probably one of the best in the country. Um, brilliant track. It's always does. They do a great job with the ground. Um, the hurdles and fences just lovely to ride over. And obviously even better when you win the King George. But it, as a track to ride around and go to, it's it, it's probably one of the best.
and it televises beautifully that chase track as well, particularly stay-at-home viewer. It's a wonderful race, racing to watch. But it's a utilitarian place now, Kempton. and David, you described it um, as a dump on, I did, on my podcast earlier. Uh, yeah, I did use that word. Um, I think it, uh, it it feels it feels unloved and it feels tired. You know, the, the you're not the only one. I mean, Lee Mottishead wrote a piece in the Post yeah, and others. Jack Keane in the Sun. They both used the words tired and unloved, which you know they're they're appropriate and they're obvious. Uh, was used. Th this brought in a discussion about racing's customer attitude, um, I think generally, not just Kempton. Look, we don't have many millions of pounds uh, to knock Kempton down and rebuild it. I think one thing that's quite interesting, though, is that we've all lived in areas where some pubs are absolutely on their knees, and then someone takes them over, and those pubs become place to be a roaring success yeah now that's not done by someone they might put a new telly on the wall or whatever but they're not spending big money they're thinking about their customers they're thinking about what they want they might canvas their customers and say how about a quiz night do you like bands whatever you know and this doesn't have to be something that racing needs to spend millions of quid on you can have good value local food outlets, stands that come in, not just like a burger and chips, but let's face it, all over Britain, and especially in London and that area of, of London, there are plenty of local places that you could call on, say, right, if you want to bring your stuff here, this is what it's going to cost you. And just, it, I suppose it's the word makeover. Makeover doesn't mean like knocking it down and rebuilding it. It means, um, trying to tap into what people want not instinctively but maybe by asking them what they want um that, that we, we talked this week i think a bit about having your food confiscated as you go into the track that, that's not a good look either we've we've got through the dress code i think in british racing now but there are so many other things and it doesn't it doesn't need slave labor or millions of pounds being you know being spent to to knock a building down and, and have a, a magnificent state-of-the-art grandstand some of those things can just be achieved by by a bit of thought and i think that's what we need to apply let's talk about the cheltenham gold cup it was pointed out this week that there are fewer british trained entries for the cheltenham gold cup than there were runners in the year that synchronized won the event that's quite sobering gavin sheehan isn't it the the, the bareness of the cupboard in this country particularly. Actually, two of the Gold Cup entries are horses we've been talking about. That's all right, Gino and, and Hewick. But yeah. it's, it is worrying. It is worrying. Um, we want these Gold Cup horses. We want loads of them. Um, the more competition that there is, the better for everybody. Um, you know, but it is diluting, and um, it's not a great sight to see, I suppose, that, 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 that little of an entry. Um, obviously, Galapagos de Chance presence at the front of the market gives you a pretty good indication as to how strong the Irish challenge is going to be again this year. Who is the leading British hope for the Gold Cup? Is it Shishkin? Yeah, I think it's Shishkin. Uh, the, the, the other really good thing is that for all the horses that have got multiple entries uh, in the, o over the three races, the Champion Chase, mm. the Ryanair and the Gold Cup, Shishkin's only got the one, hasn't he? Yep. It, it's, it's the Gold Cup for him. Uh, and Brave Man's game similarly. Yeah, and so that's... Uh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, the, the 
the Champion Chase entries went up from 14 last year to 19 this year. The Ryanair went up from 25 to 27, sorry, to 32. But yeah, the trend for the Gold Cup is not a good one. 43 uh, in 2019. 24 Irish, 19 British, now 20 of which 9 are Irish and 11 are British. So, it's, of course, it's a worrying trend. 43 to 20? Yeah, in five years. And you do wonder, don't you, together with all that we've talked about as regards the efficiency of selecting good horses and a lot of good horses falling into too few hands, you do wonder whether overall the effects of, of the pandemic are, are being felt. I think that's a fair point. And I think that it's this, surely this is more than um, the, the too few, ha I'm not saying that you think it mm. is, but it's obviously a, it's a factor, isn't it? But yeah, it, but, but in that, why would that affect the overall number? It, you'd have 40 horses, well, but they're it. just trained by two people. Exactly, Willie Mullins doesn't mind having, you know, seven or eight horses in a race if it's the right race no. and, and Gordon Elliott as we've seen likewise so a disappointing numerical entry for the Gold Cup this year if that's all right Gino and Hewitt both turn up in the Gold Cup which one do you do you ride which one would you ride no idea if you had the choice Don't <laughs> you can fire something back about rival broadcasters to him you know Gavin let's Let's talk about Fakenham, which was supposed to race on New Year's Day. Got their BHA-owned fixture on New Year's Day removed from them, taking the Subble. Subble had to abandon. Fakenham were cross about it because Subble wouldn't have been able to have a, a big crowd anyway. And then, ironically, Fakenham racing the 2nd of uh, January, they had to abandon as well. But this time at the 11th hour because ambulances were unable to get round the access route, which is not hard standing at Fakenham, but which is still on the, on the grass in the main, even though some new stone has been laid down. It was all a bit of a chapter of, of disasters, really, and you couldn't help but feel for them in the round. No, absolutely. Um, David Hunter is the, I think we can say, maverick boss of Fakenham, and he almost revels in that. He, he sometimes must wonder what he's done in a past life, I guess, when you consider uh, the events of... January the 2nd and January the 1st. Uh, it's a BHA fixture. It was moved from the 1st to the 2nd. Obviously, the, the weather in North Norfolk was set fair uh, on New Year's Day, so they could have raced. Southall instead were going to race but didn't, but they, as you say, wouldn't have raced in front of a crowd anyway because there was still damage from the storm in October. Um, there's always a, there's a, a, a tendency and an obvious reaction again on, you know, social media which it can be a cesspool anyway or you know dad's army british racing again what a farce in this instance it was a everyone was at the track there were no apparent concerns then there was a, a very heavy downpour that affected the um the, the routes for the emergency vehicles around the track and they didn't really have much option but to say i'm really sorry but we can't yeah. race because if something does happen and yeah. an ambulance or a car can't get there well where are we then uh, and Fakenham is a, is a race course, aren't it? You're talking about your driving, will take you plenty of time to get to, but you were saying to me earlier that it's often worth it when you do get there. You're, you're quite a big fan. Look, um, they, they do a good job there. They've put on plenty of prize money um, for a small track that it is. They do a great job and, you know, the, the, the ground is generally quite good, even though they were unlucky earlier as well in the, uh, in the season. But 
they do a good job um, and plenty of prize money, so they, they, they get plenty of um, plenty of people go there. And yes, it's a slog to get there, um, plenty of roundabouts and everything. But when when you're there, it's fine. It's a beautiful drive if you're not in a it hurry, is, isn't it? it the is, a is it the A1065 from Mildenhall? I've only I, like I've only been once or twice, I think. Oh, right. I used to but go I, there quite a bit it. when I was at the, at the press association and. Uh, my nephew used to play it in the the Thursford spec Christmas Spectacular. Really? Yeah, so I used to drive up there quite a bit, but it's it's a lovely drive as long as you're not like desperate to get a bet on in the first. Well, uh, not your your very favourite venue, however, that of course is your beloved Epsom. Of course, yeah. Where where Betfred have signed an extension to their sponsorship deal for yeah. the Oaks and the Derby. Fred Doan was very visible last year. We talk about somebody activating their sponsorship. He certainly did for all that. There was a lot of chat about whether this great race should be sponsored by a bookmaker. Um, how do you view the, the ongoing partnership? Um, I've always thought that um, I'm, I don't want, I'm not going to use the word that the phrase beggars can't be choosers in this um, in this context. But it's always annoyed me over the years when racing politicians get sniffy about sponsors. Oh, we want blue chip. We don't want bookmakers. That's happened many times over the years and the next racing administrator that I hear say that I will strangle them uh, because the well they're quite careful the, not to say it nowadays the, aren't they yeah the, the 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 relationship between horse racing and betting is symbiotic and has been for centuries and you know the the um Investec were a very good sponsor for the derby they they threw lots of enthusiasm into it um for a, a long period of time that came to an end kazoo sponsored absolutely everything didn't they for a, a period of time they did the darts for a year or so Aston Villa lots of snooker they still do lots of snooker but they walked away from quite a lot of on uh, uh, of other sponsorships and the problem is that when you get a so-called blue chip sponsor not that because it was necessarily blue chip mm. in the but a non-bookmaking brand yeah. Yeah. um in that sometimes they walk in and they turn on the heels and they can't get out of the place quick enough Fred Doan as you say was a very visible uh, presence at Epsom. Not sure about the fur felt topper, and if you're watching, Fred, I can I can get you a lovely 55 that won't uh, <laughs> that will not stretch your budget. Is this allowed? Um, but is, is that product? Is this allowed? I don't, probably not. Conrad um, Night Socks. Uh, <laughs> but they embrace it, and bookmaker sponsorships do because it's in their interest to uh, to embrace it. So that they've extended until 2026. And as I say, can't this just teach us one thing, that, that they are sponsorships that we should celebrate and that we should cherish, not turn our noses up at them. There are other alternative purveyors of men's headwear. <laughs> El Fabiola versus John Bond. Frank Berry seemed to confirm this week, and Nicky Henderson likewise, that it was on the Clarence House Chase Clash at Ascot in a couple of Saturdays' time between El Fabiolo and John Bond. I can ask you this one quite happily. It, God forbid anything should befall um, either, well, Nico de Boinville might be replaced by James Byrne or whoever, and um, uh, Paul Talland, we assume, is going to come and ride uh, El Fabiolo. But if uh, God forbid anything happened to either of them, which one would you prefer to ride? Ascot, extended two miles, El Fab and John Bond. I'll go for El Fabiolo. Um, I thought he was quite impressive the last day. Um, he's a very straightforward horse. Um, he's uncomplicated, jumps great. He, he, he seems, they've obviously had a, 
they're one all, aren't they? Uh, one was over hurdles, one was over fences. El Fabiolo seems better again over fences. John Bon seems better this year, um, but he's uh, he needs an aggressive ride and sometimes can spend a little bit of time in the air. So, do you think John Bon is better ridden just forward and allowed to stride, a bit like Nico de Boinville did at Cheltenham in the Schleur chase? I think so, yeah. Um, I think he's probably only just doing enough and he'll only do what you ask him. And I think you have to, to keep asking him to get the best out of him. But of course, El Fabiola himself is a, a real bulldozer of a horse, it seems, as well. So I can't see him being ridden for a turn of foot, can you? No, but I, th I think a little bit like um, the match race that they had there before with Shiskin and, and Ergerman. Uh -huh. um, similar kind of thing. Ergerman just jumped and travelled and looked like the winner everywhere, didn't he? Um, he looked fairly impressive, but obviously got beat by Shiskin, who was um, hard at work, and uh, he ended up getting the job done at the end. But look, you, you, you're talking about one that's probably a little bit behind the bridle and that needs um, needs to be ridden a bit more aggressive, and another one who travels and jumps great, and you can be a bit of a perch jockey in a sense. Um, so El Fabiolo for you, Dave. If they meet at Ascot. Yeah, I think El Fabiolo, and I think there probably will be lots of um, naysaying about whether this would take place. You, you spoke to Frank Berry this week. He seems to I, think it's happening. I spoke to Nicky Henderson yesterday, and they both seemed of the view that, yeah, this would, this would happen. With El Fabiolo, as a novice, he made mistakes, and I was really looking forward to him going into open company because I thought maybe you, you get away with those against novices, but you might not against really good two-milers. And... It's a real shame we don't have Energumen, and I feel that for once, and it very rarely happens, certainly in my time in racing, that the two-mile chase division isn't that strong. Because if we had a stronger division, I'd love to see what El Fabiolo it's is. It's two good ones and nothing else is made of. Yeah. Um, okay. Those were this week's talking points. Luck on Sunday, brought to you by Whirlpool. Bet with the world.